Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Just introduce our message today that's part of a four-week series. Let me just remind you of this. It's really important that you see all four of these talks. The interviews, we've interviewed them here in the C3 Centre. These are friends of ours. And it's all on this subject of race, the conversation. We're not engaging in this because somehow it's woke or it's politically correct to do so. We're engaging this as a conversation because how we treat one another, individuals made in the image and likeness of God, is a kingdom issue. It's to do with righteousness. It's to do with justice. It's to do with the kingdom of heaven. So we've interviewed each of these of our friends must see them all if you disagree with something the best place to talk is in small groups connect so you can talk about it and talk around the subject we're not afraid of disagreements we should be able to do that in love and still move forward together so today we have Kate Coleman Kate Coleman we've had in here regularly as a guest speaker this last year she's been on our international advisory board helping us we've got her coming in again next year preaching and doing some additional training around this subject of race and racial unity and leadership. We love her, we appreciate her, and you're going to enjoy it. Lean in as if she was in the room, applaud when it's right to, laugh when it's right to. If there's any of that goes on, I can't remember. I did the interview, but I can't remember what's on there. I'm going to watch it again as if the first time. So put your hands together and let's welcome Dr. Reverend Dr. Kate Coleman. Continuation of this conversation, race the conversation. Uh, we are really honoured and privileged today to have our friend, Reverend Dr. Kate Coleman. Let me just read something to you of a little bit of a bio about Kate. She has 35 years of leadership experience in the church, charity and business sectors. Kate was the first black woman Baptist minister in the UK and has been recognised as one of the 20 most influential black Christian women leaders in the country. She's a speaker, a lecturer, an author. In fact, our first um, introduction to Kate was from her book, The Seven Deadly Sins of Women in Leadership, which we'd highly recommend. And she's become a friend of C3. As I said, she was the first Baptist minister in the UK, but she was also the first female president of the Baptist Union just some six years later. And so it really is an honour to have you with us today. Thank you for being with us, Kate. Thank you. It's great to be here. We've got some questions for you. Yeah, so, Kate, tell us, how it, did it feel to be the first black woman minister in the Baptist Union, and um, um, first in many different ways? How has that felt for you, and also how has that brought change, maybe, for other people um, in their situations? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, to be honest, um, I didn't know I was the first ah. black uh, Baptist woman minister. I didn't know it for probably for a couple of years. I wasn't aware of it and then somebody pointed it out right. um, and um, then I of course I started looking around and I realized oh my goodness this is this is the this is the case. I am the first. Um, I was trying to honor God with my calling. That's what I was trying to do. I wasn't trying to be a first anything. Um, I was trying to um, lead um, um, and be the, the, the woman God was calling me to be. Yeah. Um, but I recognize that 
Um, I've been a lot of firsts since then, um, so I recognise that that's part of the gift and part of the grace that I carry. Right. Um, it's pioneering, it's breaking ground and mm. creating space for others to come. Right. Um, and I guess what happened is that once it became clearer that I was the mm. first, um, first uh, black woman Baptist minister and then um, the, the first black woman Baptist president, mm -hmm. um, second only woman, um, yeah. um, it gave hope to others, yeah. you know, so it, it inspired others. You know, I, I had no idea that the impact it would have mm -hmm. for others, so others aspired. So I was the first, but now there are many. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's success, right. you know, um, that there are many who feel that actually, yeah, we can do that because we can see somebody who's, yeah. who's gone ahead. That's correct. Mm. Pioneer. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've really appreciated your help, particularly in regard to race and diversity and conversations around this and actions that we want to take. Um, this is why we're doing this series. But a buzzword that is used a lot today is the word diversity. Yeah. And I remember in a conversation that we'd had with you, you said diversity is the easy part. Mm. Um, and I, I noted that and I wanted to know why is that the easy part? What do, what do you mean by that? And, and maybe you could expand it a little. What, what is true diversity? What does that look like? Um, you know, one of the things, I remember that conversation, by the way, um, but one of the things I, I um, love about the idea of um, diversity is that it doesn't sit by itself. And um, there's this wonderful quote, which I just need to pull out of my memory, um, it's, it's an adapted version of a quote by an African-American activist and diversity trainer called Vernia Myers. And um, it goes, um, um, diversity is like inviting people to the party um, and inclusion is inviting them to dance. Equity is helping them to get there and belonging is dancing as if you don't care who's watching. Yeah. Um, and I find that really, really helpful. So diversity is the easy part because actually inviting people to the party is not difficult. Yeah. You know, having people in the room, um, sitting alongside you, um, different kinds of people with different kinds of background, that part is easy. It's easy within, relatively easy. Mm. <laughs> it's easy within organisations to say, let's, let's rack up our you know, uh, let's, 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 let's um, get more black people into positions of responsibility, um, let's get our optics right mm -hmm. um, so that um, we look like a diverse organisation. The number of times I've been including in a photo for something because, you know, it gives a particular impression. But diversity is one part, you know, mm -hmm. once you've started to invite these people um, into positions of responsibility, um, into positions um, of influence. Mm -hmm. um, the, the harder part is inclusion mm -hmm. and belonging. Right. And equity is generally the one that is forgotten. So because people come from um, diverse contexts and because they've experienced different kinds of um, uh, disparities, um, race disparities in particular, um, and because they've experienced different kinds of challenges, equity is the part that takes that into account. 
and says, what might we need? Rather than e equality, which mm -hmm. kind of says, oh, we all need a bike, let's all get the same bike. Um, equity says, what kind of bike do you need to nice. get to the destination? Um, you know, what's your shape, size, what, what are your special circumstances, what do you need? Um, so the equity part is actually um, about what do we need to put in place to enable that person, given their particular sets of circumstances, given the disparities they face, given the challenges that they've gone through, what do we need to give that person to enable them to get to this party? Mm -hmm. um, so that's the equity part. And then the inclusion part. Inclusion is what we do. So inclusion is, well, you know, how can we ensure that that person feels included? Mm -hmm. What would help them to feel included? Um, uh, oftentimes diversity drives fail on the culture piece. So, uh, you know, oftentimes the, the focus is, okay, if, if, if we're inviting these people in, mm -hmm. what we want them to do is to become like us. So we assimilate people rather than um, include them. And inclusion is about um, creating the space that makes them feel as if they want to be part of this. Um, the, the, the creating um, a track, a pathway um, that says it's okay to be who you are in this space. Um, our we hold values in common, we hold a particular culture in common, but actually we want you to bring who you are into this space. Sometimes it's as simple as, um, uh, there's a group I've been working with recently, um, it's as simple as having welcome notices in lots of different languages. Um, it's as simple as having some wor worship songs from diverse places that says, we recognize you, we, we understand who you are and we value what you bring. And this is part of us saying yes and amen. We, we, we want to do that. Um, so that's the inclusion part. Um, and the belonging part, belonging is what people feel. Yeah. Um, and what often happens is that people do the first three bits. So they do the, uh, the diversity bit, invite them to the party. They do the equity bit, let's make sure they get there. They do the inclusion bit, let's make sure they feel as if they're welcome here and what they bring is welcome. Um, but they don't necessarily do the belonging part, which is um, monitoring, assessing, evaluating. How do you know if somebody belongs? Mm. You know, they have to tell you mm. that. Um, what are the signs? What are the indicators? Um, and sometimes that's the scary part because you put all the energy and effort sure. into this mm. stuff. Yeah. Um, but until you know that people belong, um, you haven't actually completed the yeah. circle. So I mean, that's why I said diversity is the easy yeah, part yeah. because, uh, you know, we can send out invitations. Yeah. I think as well, um, something we've noticed, you know, some pe people are talking in regard to, to race and this sort of thing as though it's a, a linear journey that you just go to and achieve a destination, mm -hmm. which I can kind of get by way of vision. But ultimately, I think what we're finding is you've got to keep coming back and yeah. assessing mm. and coming back around and yeah. looking again. Yeah. It's circular in that way rather yeah. than being a track we're on. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's a bit like, uh, it's a funny thing because I don't, development is like that. So, you know, mm. we, we love the idea of raising mm. leaders, developing leaders. 
Um, but leadership development is like that. It's, it's, it's not a single track that people go from A to yeah. mm -hmm. Z. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is more of a spiral mm -hmm. up, yes, you know, yeah, and people, they go round, they come back to something, but at a higher level, a different, in a different space, they go round again, they come back to something. Yeah. And um, this journey is like that. You, you, you start the journey, um, you think that it, once you've got the, some information, mm -hmm. you've had some education, Oh, that's it. That's not how it works. Um, uh, you have the information, the education, you then have to integrate it. And, and then once you've integrated it, you have to practice it. And then once you practice it, you realize you need some more education. And then you have to, and you do the whole thing all over again. Um, and it is, it's a growing, it's a growth piece. Um, and lots of people don't give themselves time or room for that. Um, they don't give themselves time or room to fail, you know, to actually get it wrong. Um, but you have to start the journey like that. You, you, you have to be prepared to get it wrong, get it right, etc., etc. Yeah. In um, kind of related to some of that, in our preparation for this, we've been doing a deep dive into Kate Coleman. So listening <laughs> to uh, some preaching, some um, articles you've done, and some interviews. And I was fascinated in one interview that was being held, it was with you and your friend, uh, Cham, that the, you said about black imagination, let me, let, yeah. let me quote you, says, um, we live in a world that has very little imagination when it comes to black people. I mean, the context was the Black Panther movie, actually, but I thought that phrase, very little imagination when it comes to black people, what, what do you mean by that? And, and how can we explore that so is that we can develop that, de yeah. develop our imaginations much better? Um, some of this is is simply um, uh, a, a side of a symptom of where people expect to see black people and where they don't expect to see black people. So you know, if I go back to um, uh, let's go back just a couple of years um, to when I was at school. Um, you know, <laughs> um, um, you know, school. Um, you know, I wanted to do physics, chemistry. I actually followed that path in the end. Eventually, uh, got my first degree in biochemistry and pharmacology. Eventually, but at school, um, they saw this black woman um, who was reasonably good at some sports, not. A, and that was it. It was kind of like, okay, she's black, she's a woman, she'll become a long jumper or a high jumper. Now, I had this fantastic relationship with gravity, so I don't know where the high jumping came in <laughs> at all. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's the thing that puts people in boxes, that categorizes yeah. them, and says, um, she can't possibly become a scientist. Black women don't do that. Right. Um, um, he can't possibly become... Um, you know, uh, an MP, um, black men don't do that. So until you begin to see people in those spaces and, and normalize that, you know, so when we're talking about the, the Black Panther movie, for example, um, I remember speaking to a friend of mine and he said to me, uh, white, white guy, um, and uh, he said to me, do you know, I, I saw the Black Panther movie. It was amazing. But you know what? I have to confess, it never occurred to me that black people could do something like that, could actually be at the forefront um, of technological advance. Mm. It never occurred 
to me because I've, I've never, I'd never thought of it. And um, it's that sort of thing. So it's, it's that lack of imagination that we see black people in particular roles. Um, and it, within church, it happens in, within church settings. So, you know, oftentimes you'll see that there are black people on the worship team, but not necessarily in the decision-making um, roles that actually drive the vision and the strategy um, of the church. Um, so they get put in places or encouraged into places where the imagination, where there's imagination for it. And actually what's needed is we need to stretch mm -hmm. our imagination mm -hmm. um, and uh, imagine greater things. Mm -hmm. You've talked uh, a lot about um, following Jesus in a racialized world. And you talked about, you know, being a bit a pivotal moment now in, in history. Um, can you talk to us a little bit more about that, explain that? You know, some people will look in society, look in British culture now and say, well, it's not like America, it's, we haven't got the same issues, the problem isn't the same here. Of course it is, you know, but open it up for us, that dialogue a little bit. Why do you think it's a pivotal moment and yeah, how can we follow um, Jesus in this time now? Yeah. Um, it's pivotal because we have an opportunity to change the way things are mm -hmm. in a decisive and radical way. Mm -hmm. um, it's, um, you know, the, the, the issue of, because obviously I've heard that too, people kind of say, oh, you know, but it's, it's not the US. Yeah. Um, you know, America, they've got, they've it's got their issues. issue. They've yeah. got issues, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and somebody else has always got issues. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got issues. Um, historically, mm. we exported that to the States. Yeah. Mm. It started here. Mm. Um, and, you know, the idea of, uh, in terms of that trajectory, UK, British slavery, mm. uh, racism, a lot of it was birthed here, um, you know, so, so that there, but it's the way in which it appears here um, that feels different. So the whole slave piece, for example, slavery piece, feels far removed. Mm. You know, you look over at the States, kind of like the plantations were under the noses of, mm. of, of, of people. Um, we shipped all of ours off to the West Indies. And the same brutalities were taking place there, but they were just yeah. slightly far removed. So we have um, some amnesia. Mm. You know, mm. There's a forgetfulness in, in, in the UK. Mm. Um, every society um, globally has um, some form of anti-blackness. So there are different kinds of racism. There's anti-black race, racism, there's anti-Asian, anti and it depends what part of Asia as well, mm. Southeast or... Mm -hmm. Far East, um, you know, there's anti-Arab, there's different kinds. But what you'll find globally is that anti-black racism exists in almost every society. Mm. And even within um, black societies, yeah. there's, a, there's colorism, you yeah. know, so the dark mm. you are. Yeah. So there's an anti-black thing there. Mm. Um, so, and, and there's, a, you know, in virtually every society, there's a pejorative term mm. for black people. Um, so the anti-black piece is a global piece. So when we talk about a pivotal moment, um, it's not just a pivotal for us in the UK, it's a globally okay. pivotal moment. But for us in the UK, uh, 
part of our challenge is actually understanding what racism looks like here. Mm. So, you know, so I, I, I you know, I, und I understand why it was uh, a challenge for so many to see racism here, because we look at US racism as opposed to Brazilian racism, as mm. opposed to Indian racism. Um, we look at US racism and say, oh, well, we're not like that. It's not expressed necessarily in that way. It's not expressed with uh, firearms necessarily, mm. although black people do tend to get tasered more than white people. Mm. Um, it's not expressed um, uh, in, in the sense that there's uh, lots of uh, news headlines about racialized violence um, that you tend to see more of in the US. Mm. But the disparities, the same disparities, mm -hmm. although not in the same proportion, exist in the UK right. as in the US as anywhere else. Um, so understanding mm -hmm. how it shows up in the UK yeah, is the challenge that people have. And because some things are slightly further removed, mm -hmm. um, it makes it easier not to consider right. how it shows up in the UK, but it definitely does. Mm. Again, related to that, and you mentioned the message we've been listening to where you talk about following Jesus in a racialized world, which I'd highly recommend anyone to Google that and listen to it. But you, one thing we love about you, Casey, is how you always root everything in scripture, mm. and the whole of that series and messages you do around there is related to, to Acts 6, um, which is about the, the the, the Greek-speaking mm. um, widow has been overlooked in the distribution of food. And in, in that, one thing you say here, another quote from you, is that what was happening for those uh, Greek-speaking Jewish widows was that they, the situation was negative, life-threatening, and systemic. And the reality is the leaders, the apostles of the day, allowed that systemic mm. um, overlooking of these widows to happen. On, on their watch, and that's something you know, we've been aware of in, 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 in the recent times, um, not in relation to widows, but in relation to the issue of race. Now, how would you say, related to what you just answered with Angie's question, how would you say in the UK church you've seen systemic racism at work? It's a good question. Um, <laughs> um, this is, yeah, how, how, do you, how do you start to answer a question like that? Um, the, the wonderful thing about Acts 6, uh, there are so many passages, that biblical passages, that actually you can draw um, learning from around the whole theme of race and racism. Um, but the wonderful thing about Acts 6 is that it demonstrates something really powerful. It demonstrates that what's in the world, you know, so the, the problem with the, the Greek-speaking people and the Hebrew-speaking people was actually a societal problem, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So the Greeks were the ones who were the foreigners, mm -hmm. and um, the Hebrews were the natives. Mm, and there yeah. was this superior-inferior thing going on between them. Um, and the stuff that's in the world is already in the church. We, we actually ac accept that on most other things. We just don't see it with this one. So the issue is, when you do see it, what do you do? It's not whether it's there, it's there. So and the, the way it's in the world 
is the way it's in the church. Mm -hmm. um, it's the way it manifests in the church. So the way that it manifests or the, the way it shows up um, in the world is um, usually through uh, personal racism, um, uh, personal beliefs, um, interpersonal, the way that people interact with one another, um, cultural, um, the domination of one culture over others, which is kind of was happening in the Act 6 story, mm -hmm. um, and then the structural. And in the Act 6 story, that was the thing. It's very unlikely that there was any intention mm. of being oppressive. Mm. You know, they were Christian brothers and sisters trying to live the life. And actually, they'd done something extraordinary. They started probably the first ever social welfare program mm. in their part of the mm. world. You know, the Christians, they were leading the charge. Mm. Um, they were doing something good, but in the midst of trying to do something right, this thing that was wrong mm. really emerged. And, um, you know, the, the leaders of the church, the apostles, they were Hebrew-speaking mm. leaders, so mm -hmm. um, they hadn't noticed it, as you said. Mm. It was on their watch. They hadn't noticed it. And sometimes that's the way it happens. And it's not whether they hadn't noticed it. That's not the part that counts. The part that counts is what they did when they did notice yes. it. When it was brought to their attention, they were quick yeah. to, 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 to move and to address it. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that's the thing that really inspires me about that particular passage yeah. of scripture. And I guess moving on from that, you're saying the people often who don't have power see it quicker than the people who do have the power so those Greeks didn't have the power and the authority and so they even they recognized it so those that have the power then I guess were always the curse of privilege in a sense that you you've that's your phrase you coined it how can we address those issues then um, and I guess we can learn from that passage maybe but how can, when we are then aware of it what is the response how can we as a church, how can we as churches um, respond, make the change? I, th I think one of the interesting things about that passage is it gives us lots of little pointers mm. as, to, as to what we can do in, in that sort of scenario. Um, yes, those who are impacted by systemic or structural racism tend to be the ones who see it and feel it, mm. and they're often the ones who will raise their voices about it. Um, those who don't see it, yeah. it's not part of their normal life experience, will often find it difficult to believe it exists because what they do is, is people tend to um, uh, project their own experience onto other people and say, oh, because I haven't, I've never seen it. I mean, that's something I've heard, so I've, I've, I've never seen it. I've never experienced it. Well, of course you haven't experienced it. You're not on the other yeah. side of it. Yeah. Um, but once you you begin to hear people talking about it, um, then you know what we find in the passage is that the apostles actually brought it to the attention of the whole church. Mm. They listened. <laughs> they listened to people who were probably quite angry, mm. probably quite upset, um, and had, had probably been having to deal with that for a while. Um, they listened. So that, that was the first thing, was just listening. Um, and uh, one of the phrases that um, I love, I, I, I didn't coin it, but I love to use it, is that 
within church settings, what we've got to do is we've got to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it is not easy mm. to hear when you, you were trying to do the best thing. It's not easy to hear that actually he didn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, and, it, and some people were hurt. Um, and listening to that is incredibly mm. uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, but if we can get comfortable with being uncomfortable, as Christians, actually, we're, we're kind of well-placed to do this because, yeah. you know, the path of discipleship is a bit like that. Oh, I thought I'd, I thought yeah, I'd eat that bad. thing yeah. and yeah, mm. here it comes again. Mm. Um, so um, if we can do that, then actually we can move things along. So they listened. That was mm. the first thing. They brought it to the attention of the whole church. They got the whole church involved in, mm. in the process. Um, they, <laughs> they then took a really bold... Um, decision um, that actually addressed the basic framework of what we often find in systemic racism or other kinds of isms, which is they addressed the power disparity. Mm. Um, and power is really just about uh, who makes the decisions. Um, so they said, choose seven from amongst mm. you. Mm. And um, the interesting thing all was Greeks. they were all Greeks. Mm -hmm. um, and the church did that. They did this incredible, radical, mm. kind of God-centered thing. And, um, and, and then they, they addressed the resource issue because resources, um, it's all about who gets to acquire them and who gets to distribute them. And usually it's, it's focused in one particular group, cultural group. Um, so what they did is they made sure that um, those who were chosen mm. got to acquire and distribute the resources. And then the, 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 the third area that they addressed was the area of legitimacy. You know, who do we value? Who do we listen to? Um, who has worth mm. here? Um, whose voice um, do we mm. give credibility to? Um, and the way they did that was that they said, these, this, mm. these seven, they have our authority. They invested in them. They laid hands on them in front of everybody. Um, and then we know some of those seven went on to do amazing things. Mm. Mm. Um, and just imagine, if they had not done that, mm. we wouldn't have heard of Philip. Yes. We wouldn't have heard of, you know, some of these guys who yeah. just went on to do amazing things. Yeah. So some of it's just about, it's, it's one of the key characteristics of a good, great leader. It's courage mm. to take a step that breaks out um, of the normal, normal biz business as usual, yeah. mm. and says, you know what? Um, if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to do some stuff, and it might hurt. Yeah. You know, I wonder how those who had been distributing yeah. the mm. felt about being replaced. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the whole church agreed to it, they thought it was good, so I'm guessing they kind of did it with a lot of grace mm. and said, yeah. this is fantastic, mm. but who knows? Time's gone, so we probably have to pull <laughs> in, but um, that, that's a beautiful picture you're painting. Of course, what, what's lovely, I guess, about Acts 6 is how it relates to Acts 2. Yeah. Mm. So it's the fulfillment in many ways, once the corrections have been made, or the beginning of the fulfillment of spirit being poured out on all flesh. Yeah. And, and I think as well, is it Acts 13 with the Antioch Church? Yeah. Clearly something did change. Yeah. 
because then they modeled it differently. So, so, so related to that, so Acts 2, Acts 6, <laughs> Acts 13, does that give you great hope for change and for something that we can demonstrate differently than we've done historically? Yeah, it does. It gives me great hope. It gives me hope because actually there's a, we, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. We don't have to make up a vision. Mm. There is a vision already. That's yeah, the Acts 2 yeah. bit. There's a vision. Um, you know, God gave it. And um, it was going to be for every person. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, this was going to be. Yeah. Um, um, they didn't understand it. They didn't grasp it yeah. at the time. Yeah. But that was the, the vision's there. If we return to the vision, it helps to move us on. Act 6, you know, is maybe five years later mm. after that. Acts 13 is mm. 15 years later. Right. So, so, yeah, it gives me hope. But I understand that it will take time yeah. and it will take a concerted and deliberate and focused and committed effort um, to make it happen. It's not going to happen overnight. It's been four, five hundred years in the making. Yeah. Um, but it gives me hope. Um, I don't have that hope every day, I have to say. <laughs> Sometimes I kind of think, uh, um, but... Uh, when I keep going back to the Word and I can see what's possible, mm -hmm. I think, okay, right. I can go again. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you, Kate. Mm. Anything else we should be asking Kate because we don't get the opportunity all the time. <laughs> no, we don't. Thank you for your example, I think, is, um, you. and your voice into these matters. We appreciate it greatly. I don't know whether to open a whole new other one or not, but uh, <laughs> that idea of you know people falling off the cliff yeah. and often as a church we're we're always focusing on the people who have fallen or that we need to help rescue or we need to support we need to with food yeah. banks and debt and this that and the other but i remember a comment once when we were driving on the road saying maybe we should concentrate on them not falling over the cliff yeah. um any thoughts on that so. yeah I mean, it, it's kind of it it hooks us back into the act six story you know so mm. you've got this wonderful moment of um social welfare, which mm. is people have fallen off the cliff, they're at the bottom broken, and we're yeah. trying to fix them and all help them mm. um, to recover from that. Um, but you've also got this wonderful moment of social justice, mm. um, you know, where the apostles actually deal, the, the church deals with the injustice, the right. disparity, mm. um, and both of those things um, just cause the church to suddenly expand mm. you know but and generally speaking uk churches we've become good at the social welfare yeah. really poor at the social justice which is the mm. top of the cliff piece mm. why don't we stop people from falling off in the first place mm. you know uh rather than um not rather than because people will fall off yeah. and you still so need as well as yeah, yeah but as well as um having uh the the, the focus on on patching people up, mm. picking them up, re-energizing, fixing mm. them, as it were, in the, in the, mm. in the right sense. Um, but in order to do the top of the cliff bit, it requires a different set of skills mm. and it requires a different set, a, a different focus and emphasis. Um, they manage both. Mm. I think we can too. Why don't you just pray for us as we, we conclude? We appreciate that. And then we'll wrap up. <laughs>
Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for this opportunity to engage in this conversation, to engage in what is on your heart in this season. We thank you for the activity of the Spirit in this arena of race. We thank you for challenging us. And we pray that you'll continue. Help us to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Help us, Lord God, to have the difficult conversations that need to be had, but then help us to uh, find ways of bringing the change, of seeking the transformation that you have on your heart so that your kingdom can be further revealed. Um, so that people understand the God we serve uh, is a God of justice, a God of righteousness, a God of love. Lord, we, we thank you for being with us uh, throughout this conversation. Thank you for Steve and Angie. Would you bless them in the work you've called them to and as they take this forward within this church context, would you be close? Would you smooth the way, open doors? Bring clarity and reveal more of your kingdom dynamic. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, let's give a round of applause for Dr. <laughs> Reverend Dr. Kay Cole. <laughs> Amen. So much to discuss and so much to think about from that interview. If you don't know, we have the version app, and there are questions on there. And we'd love you to get into connect groups, or if you're not in a connect group, get some p- together with other people that you know and talk these things through. Question them, explore. What does it mean to be comfortable with being uncomfortable? And ask one another and how we can support each other. We left all of the interview in because it was so good, and so we've gone over a little bit longer. And so. I'm just going to say this as we close. At the end of the service here in the room, there will be a prayer team. And if any of you want prayer on any area of your life, or maybe it's to know how to become a Christian, you can talk to them. If you're online, there are people there that are hosting you, then why not just give them a a little nudge on the chat there and say, I'd like to know more about joining the church or what does it mean to become a Christian? And they will talk with you. Again, if you're in the room here, we've got a a Next Steps lounge, which is at the front of the building. To my right there, your left, very first room that you come to, room one. And it's to help you find out what your next step could be to get more involved and to get to know the vision and values of C3. So go over to the Next Steps. Again, online, if you just click the link there, there's a Next Steps link for you, and you can find out some more about C3. Why don't we stand where we are? We're going to finish with this song. Stay online with us. The guys will say goodbye to you as we finish this song, this last song of worship as we celebrate together. God bless you. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.